Wow, what a week. Has everybody else wound up from Christmas? It just seems to go so fast, doesn't it? Unless you're like 10 years old, then you probably remember two or three. So it doesn't go very long if you're young. But I tell you, as you get older, it just seems like you start ticking off the calendar by Christmases, holidays, New Year's, birthdays, Christmas. <laughs> it has just flown. And uh, last week we celebrated Christmas, and uh, I know it got a little bit hectic. And so I know uh, in my house, I don't know what it was like in your house, but my house was uh, packed, and we just had a lot going on. And so uh, in all the chaos and just with the hecticness of the season, I didn't want us to miss exactly what happened last week. So I wanted to uh, read a couple of passages from you from the book of Luke, if you brought your Bible with you. Uh, just turn to the middle, start going to the right until you hit Luke. I've got a couple of passages we're going to look at just to kind of refresh our memory about Christmas. And then we've got some new people we're going to be looking at uh, in our series today. But beginning in Luke chapter 2, it talks about the birth of Jesus. It says, In the days that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world, Joseph and uh, Mary went to the town of Nazareth to, and Galilee to Judea, uh, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because that's where Joseph belonged. He belonged to that house in the line of David. So he went there. Uh, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Uh, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Does that sound familiar? So that's what last week was all about. Those verses were read and celebrated around the world. And so we just got through celebrating Christmas. And so let me ask you this. What's next? <laughs> we just went through Christmas. You know, what do we do now? It could be kind of a letdown, especially if you've had friends and family. You've been off work and now you're, oh, what are you looking forward to? we got the new year maybe another day or two off, you know, what are you looking forward to coming off of Christmas? You know, we had, uh, I have to confess, I'm not a very good shopper, and so I did a lot of shopping this year online. Anybody else do that? <laughs> Amazon has some great deals. I mean, we're talking like 75% off stuff, and so I went through and got some stuff for the kids, and I found some really neat stuff on Groupon, and so I mean, I was just smashing it. I was getting deals left and right, and stuff was showing up at the door. I thought I was the only one. Come to find out, that's what the kids were doing too. So for the last several weeks, we've had stuff showing up at the front door. Isn't that great? Don't have to go out at the crowds, saving money. Good deals, all the stuff showing up at the door. And uh, so that's kind of how we moved through Christmas. It was funny because uh, Christmas got here, and my oldest daughter, Katie, was leading worship at her church um, up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And so she came home after her service was over, and it was dark. And so one of the kids got one of the lantern bag. You take a paper bag, put a candle in it, like a luminary, and uh, they put it out on the front porch for her. And so when she came home at night, she walked out. She goes, oh, it was so nice. And got a little greeting and that's a little luminary. And so uh, we went on about our Christmas. About a day or two later, I walked by the front door, 
And I looked out the door and I went, there's a package on the door. And everybody in unison went running to the door to see what was at the door. It was like, oh, it's the luminary. It's not a package. That's all over with, right? I mean, even the anticipation of Christmas is still lingering around our house. And it's already over. I mean, what did we do now that Christmas is over? We got gifts. We got some pictures. You know, we're waiting for New Year's Day maybe. You know, the book of Luke has some of the most famous accounts of the birth of Jesus um, ever recorded. And everyone knows the Christmas story, right? You've got the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. You've got Jesus born in a manger because there's no room at the inn. The angels appeared to the shepherds in the fields. And we all know that the wise men did not show up until much later, right? So we have the Christmas story down. And now Christmas is over. And that's where the story ends for most people. For most people, the Christmas story ends with a baby in a manger. And now that it's gone, people are kind of waiting around for what's next. And so I want to tell you this this morning. It's really important. Christmas is not about a baby in a manger. Christmas is about who is in the manger. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Instead of stopping with the birth of Jesus and celebrating just his birth, if we read just a few verses later, we're going to find two people that show up just a few days later to show us how unique this baby is. And these two people, they're not found anywhere in in any nativity scene. In fact, I'm going to start a new movement. I'm taking the wise men out, but I'm putting two people in my nativity scene because they were right there right after Jesus was born, and they point us to who he was. You know, these two people, are, they're not found in any Christmas plays. They're not in any bedtime stories, at least that I'm familiar with, and I have never seen them on a Christmas card. These two people are rarely talked about at Christmas. In fact, you may have never even heard of them. But right here in the middle of this Christmas story are two people that play a critical, significant role in our Christmas story. And their names are Simeon and Anna. And they had been waiting for the birth of Jesus Christ for years. They had been waiting for this special day for a long, long time. And their story picks up beginning in verse 21 of chapter 2. It says this, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name of the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification came, according to the law of Moses that had been commanded, Joseph and Mary took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, we're going to learn about Simeon and Anna in just a second, but I want to stop here for a second because, uh, you know, the NIV says it was uh, a pair of doves, and in the ESV it says turtle doves. I just love the idea of two turtle doves. I don't know if there was a partridge in a pear tree, but here we see a family bringing their child into the temple to have him dedicated. And there's two events that are happening here I want to talk about before we move into looking at Simeon and Anna. And the first thing that we see happening is as we see a child dedication. You see, it was a custom for us, for them to bring their children before the Lord. Having a relationship with God, they're bringing their child up before the Lord to offer him up, and they're making a commitment to raise their children up 
to know the Lord as well. And so child dedications are what we celebrate um, here at Springbrook. We do not baptize children. Uh, baptism is something that happens after a person understands how to have a relationship with Christ. So we do baptisms and we do child dedication, but child dedications are an important part of one's walk in relationship with God as it relates to your friend, to your family. Now we have a baptism service coming up on the next couple of weeks, and we're going to have several baptism classes, and we also talk about child dedication. And so uh, on, on, the, on your program, there was that welcome slip that Jessica mentioned. I want you to tear that off for a moment. On the back side, there's a place to say, I've got questions about child dedication or I have questions about baptism, because this is something that culturally can be some confusion about. Do you get baptized? How do you get to heaven? What's child dedication? But here in Scripture, we see a perfect example of what a child dedication looks like. It's an offering up of our children and a commitment to bring them up for the knowledge of how to have a relationship with the Lord. So we see a child dedication happening here. The second thing that happens in these verses is that we see that Jesus is now publicly named. His name is Jesus. His last name is not Christ. So just for the record, that's not Joseph and Mary Christ. This is not Jesus Christ, his last name. Uh, Jesus is his name. Christ is his identity. And so there's a difference between our name and, and our identities. And our identities are usually found in that second name. And I'll give you an example. We welcome into the world our, our first grandbaby. And so this is Ezra Poon. And I tell you, I am so proud of our kids because uh, Natalie, my daughter, and my new son-in-law, Stark, um, they sat down together and they prayed about what to name their child. I wish I had had something that spiritual uh, when I was naming my four kids. I've got four beautiful daughters. I wasn't a believer at the time. But these two, um, both committed followers of Christ, prayed, sought the Lord, and, and named their child after Ezra, uh, who you find in the Old Testament. So Ezra was known as a scribe. He was also a priest. His name means helper or messenger. And so his name is Ezra. And now that's not Hebrew. It was supposed to be a Hebrew font, so I'm not quite sure what happened. I don't know what that is. But uh, his name is Ezra. His last name is where we find our identity. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing from a cultural perspective because we think of first and last names. But the last name is really where we find our identities. I don't know if any of you have ever looked up your ancestry. You can look up your last name. There's usually history associated with your last name. That's where you find your ancestry. And so it was fun to kind of talk with the kids about what they had found uh, in Stark's last name, Poon. Uh, it's actually from a Chinese clan that was taken from an area of the land north of Shanxi. Uh, it was granted to John, who was a descendant of King Wan of Zhou. <laughs> so that's their identity. And so this is Ezra from the clan of Shanxi that was north, the northern area of China. And so that is his identity. That's where he comes from. He's Ezra from this territory. Well, in the same way with Jesus, we see Jesus is his name, but his identity is Christ. And this is what this looks like from uh, the passages we just looked at. We see Jesus is called the Christ. In this next slide, we see, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Who is Christ the Lord. That's his identity. And then at the end of the eight days, when we approach this passage of verse 21, we see that he, when he was circumcised, he was brought before the Lord, he was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was even consumed in the womb. And so we have Jesus, his name, his identity is in Christ. And so that's why sometimes you'll hear people refer to him as Christ Jesus, because his identity is Christ, his name is Jesus. We refer to him as uh, Jesus Christ. 
could also be referred to as Jesus from Nazareth. Um, but it's important to understand that when we look at this baby in the manger, it's not just a baby. It is the Christ. It is the Messiah. It is the one that people have been waiting for for years. It dates all the way back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's the one that is going to defeat evil, overcome death, and restore our relationship with God. Paul would describe him as the, uh, the, the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Timothy would say that he is the one mediator between us and our Heavenly Father. He's a mediator. And so as the Christ, he has an identity, but his name is Jesus. And so to more fully understand what he brings at Christmas, um, we're going to look at a few other verses, beginning in verse 25, and we're going to see here what Simeon and Anna were introduced to right after they met Jesus on his first birthday. In verse 25, it says this, there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so Simeon was waiting for consolation. And so when he saw baby Jesus, he saw that waiting being answered. And so Jesus met Simeon's need, his waiting for consolation. And then when you go down to verse 38, we see that Anna was waiting as well, but she was waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so we have two people that have been waiting a very long time to answer the question, what child is this that was laid to rest on Mary's lap while sleeping? I got Christmas stuck in my head. <laughs> this is Christ the Lord. And these two people have looked down on it and then they immediately recognize who he is. And we're going to look at what they were looking at in just a minute. But I want to talk about waiting for a second because they were both waiting. And in the next slide, you can see the kind of the parallels Simeon was waiting for consolation, and Anna was waiting for redemption. And see, it's important because the word that Luke uses in this passage, it's the same exact word for waiting in both verses, and it has a very specific meaning. And so what does it mean to be waiting for something? And so if I were to say to you, I'm going to wait for everybody to raise their hands. I could sit here and wait for you to do that. And so I'm waiting into the future. Does that make sense? I'm presently waiting for you to raise your hands. And I could sit here until you all did it. I mean, I could actively wait until one person raised their hand. I don't know. So I'm actively waiting for somebody to raise their hands. Now, I could do this for how long? I'm, I'm thinking seconds. <laughs> Actively waiting is really grueling, isn't it? Because it's like, ugh, what are we doing here? I can actively wait for something for about a minute, maybe two minutes. I could never wait for something for years. I don't know. The whole idea of waiting for a long time. I am just not a good waiter. And so I could actively wait for a short time. Or I could say to you, hey, I'm going to wait for you all to raise your hands. I could stand here and it's like, wow, they're not getting it. So let me go over here. I'll find something else to do while they're... And so I could passively wait. And so I'm waiting for you to raise your hands. But in the meantime, I'm going to do something else. I don't know. I would have liked a sip of water. 
That's not my bottle, so I'm not going to drink out of that. So I could find something else to do while I'm passively still waiting for you to raise your hands. And so I've been waiting for a future event, and I could do it either actively or I could do it passively. Does that make sense? That's not what Simeon and Anna have been doing. They had been waiting from a past perspective. And so if you think about waiting, go ahead and go to the next slide. Waiting from the past perspective for a future event that has now happened. And so when it talks about them waiting, they had been waiting for the years in the past for an event that has now happened and it is now over. And so they are no longer waiting for those two things. They're not waiting for consolation. They're not waiting for redemption. Their waiting is now over. That event has happened. Does that make sense? It's past waiting for an event that has already happened. And the interesting thing about the way that they were waiting is that they were waiting actively. They weren't doing anything else. They were waiting for consolation, and they were waiting for redemption, and they were doing it constantly, all the time, every day, for years. Can you imagine waiting for something like that? I don't know exactly how long they had been waiting. It's kind of hard to tell, at least from the passage of uh, looking at what looked like for Simeon. Um, Simeon, uh, you know, had been waiting for a while. Let's look at this next verse. Simeon, uh, there was a man... That was his name, Simeon. He was righteous and devout. So we don't know how long Simeon was waiting. But let me, let me just say this. How long would it take for you to get to know somebody before you could characterize them as being righteous and devout? I mean, you're not going to walk up to somebody you just met and say, wow, you look like a real righteous and devout man. I mean, it takes time for those two characteristics to surface in somebody's life, doesn't it? Could be weeks, could be months, could be years. I'm thinking it took a long time because Simeon had been at this temple for a long time and God had promised him long ago that he would not see death before he had seen the Christ. And now when he sees Jesus, he says, now you can let your servant depart in peace. And so this promise that God made a long time ago has now been fulfilled in who Christ is. And so we don't know exactly how long Simeon had been waiting uh, it had been uh, a long time. Um, but, you know, it's interesting when, it, when, it, when you think about Simeon, um, we don't know. But for, for Anna, we get a little bit better of a perspective of how long she's been waiting. There was a prophetess named Anna, and she was advanced in years. And so we know she's older. Uh, having lived with her husband, here we go, seven years from when she was a virgin. And so we figure when she got married, she might have been in her, what, let's say 20s. And she was with him for seven years and then she became a widow so that he died. So 27 years old, he dies. And she was a widow until she was 84 years old. For 56, 57 years, for 57 years, she has been actively waiting for the redemption of Israel. And she did not depart from the temple. She worshiped with fasting and prayer when? Night and day. Night and day. For 57 years years. That's a serious devotion life, isn't it? I mean, if she was reading through the Bible in a year, she could read something every day. She'd read the Bible through every year, every day for 57 years. I mean, that's some serious devotion, isn't it? 57 years she had been waiting. We know Simeon had been waiting long. 
long time. We know Anna has been waiting an extremely long time. You know, I, I can't wait for something for minutes, half an hour. I know sometimes when Dan's up here and I'm sitting out there, I'm thinking, man, this is like, this is going over, this is 40 minutes. I mean, some of you are sitting here thinking, man, when's this guy going to get done? It's hard to wait, and it's hard to do it actively, isn't it? I mean, the attention span, we, I, I tell you right now, I got 15, 20 minutes to say what I need to say, and then people start checking out. Because that's just the way we are. We're wired, I mean, for instantaneous gratification. We're wired for everything instantly. The idea that we're going to wait for something for half an hour, for a day, for a week. You know, I got stuff going on in my life right now, and I know you do too. Christmas just has a way of flushing stuff out in people's life, doesn't it? I'm waiting for stuff right now. And I tell you, I, I'm hoping something happens by the end of next week. I don't know. 57 years. What could they have been waiting for that long that would be that important? What could they be waiting for that long that could be that important? Well, first for Simeon in verse 25, it says that he was waiting for consolation. Simeon, the righteous and devout man, was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. What is that consolation? You know, comfort. He's looking for comfort and for hope. I don't know about you, but I could really use some comfort right now. <laughs> I was holding that baby last week. I have had so much fun with my grandson. Uh, but I tell you, I was holding the baby, and I was like, this kid's got it made right now. I thought, you know, I was thinking, I was kind of working on my message, and I was thinking about comfort, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice for God just to kind of come alongside and just kind of pick me up and just say, hey, all that stuff going on over there, don't even worry about it. Don't worry about it. Let me provide comfort for you. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for their comfort and for hope. And you see, why this is so important is because at this point in time, God had been silent for 400 years. No prophets, no writings. I mean, you've got all this activity. You've got all this stuff going on with the tribes. You've got all the land. People are taking And all of a sudden, boom, nothing. 400 years. God's not speaking to anybody. It's just silence. And so at this time, they're just wondering, man, where has God gone? Where has God gone? They're under hostile rule from a Roman government. They've lost their independence, and they are living in fear of King Herod. And they're wondering if they're ever going to see a Messiah. You know, it's interesting when you talk to somebody that's still Jewish, they're still waiting for a Messiah. They're still waiting for consolation. What happens here is, is that Simeon sees it, and Simeon knows that this is the Christ. And everything that we believe is rooted in the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. He's Emmanuel. God, come down. And so all of our identity that we know about Christ should give us comfort and should give us hope. And we're all desperate for that. I'm I'm serious. It It is a universal need for comfort. It starts when we're young and we're infants. But I tell you, as you grow older, it just doesn't go away. We all want comfort. We all need hope. You know, we're all facing turmoil. There's something going on in our lives, in our families, with our jobs, with our work, with our finances, with our cars. There's turmoil all around us. And we need comfort from that. There's loneliness. 
there's loneliness throughout our community. It's, it's so amazing that you can actually walk into a church and still feel lonely in spite of the fact that you're around all these people. That's why small groups are so important. I love Sunday morning. I love singing. I love the preaching and the teaching. Relationships happen best in the context of small groups, serving together on ministry teams, being connected and being a part of the body of Christ. You can be lonely and be in a big church. In fact, sometimes the bigger the church is, the more lonely you can be. It doesn't make sense, does it? We all face loneliness. We all have emptiness. We all have insecurities. You know, I've raised four daughters in a culture that would try to redefine them completely different than how I would try to raise them up to help them understand how God would see them. We're all empty. There's insecurities. There's, there's desperation. And, and you know what's interesting? Christmas, it's one of the most stressful seasons of the year. I mean, this is a time when we're celebrating the birth of a Savior who brings comfort and hope, and at the same time, we're in a community that is surrounded by the loss of life. It breaks my heart to just know of how many people have taken their own lives in the last month at a time when we're celebrating a risen Savior. It is a cultural epidemic, and the idea that we can be comforted gives us hope. We all need comfort. And this is what Simeon was waiting for. It's what prompted him, the Holy Spirit prompted him to be at the temple, just as Joseph and Mary were bringing Jesus in. And when he looked down and he saw that baby, he knew that God's promise had been kept. He had been waiting for consolation, and he sees it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say this about himself in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, if any of you, ooh, I need the rest of the verse. There he goes, come to me all who labor and who are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. This is the ESV version, by the way. I had it memorized in the NIV. I like the ESV better. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That sounds nice. Are, are you feeling labored? Are you feeling heavily laden this morning? Does the idea of just finding rest appeal to you? It does to me. <laughs> it really does to me. Jesus provides that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle, I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That idea of being yoked means it's connected to, it's hooked together, it's the imagery of a yoke, and actually a yoke is two cattle that are hooked together by the neck. And so sometimes people look at Christianity and they think, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be yoked. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. You mean if I start going to church, you're just going to tell me all the stuff I can't do anymore? It's like most people do not want to be yoked. In fact, it's, it's our nature not to want to be yoked. We, we want to do things on our own, in our own way, on our own will. We don't want God's will all the time. God's, I want your will to be done, but you do it my way. You know, the idea of yoked really can prevent people from being able to experience hope and comfort. You can do it on your own if you want, but man, why would you want to do that? Because if you take, if you take his yoke upon you, you've got a partner. You know, when you hook up to somebody, you're not pulling that load anymore. You've got somebody else that's pulling it with you, and not only that, but it's the Christ. It's Jesus. It's the one that was, he created all things by him, through him, for him. He's the image of the invisible God. And he's saying, hey, hook yourself up to me and I will give you rest. That is a promise. And when, and when Simeon looks down 
and he sees baby Jesus. He sees the fulfillment of all that he's been waiting for in providing comfort and in providing hope. You know, I don't know what's going on in your, right now, uh, you know, in your life right now, but uh, because of Jesus, I want you to know that you can find comfort and you can find hope in any circumstance. I don't care what the circumstance is, how bad you think it is. I have no idea what would cause somebody to think things are so bad that they just want to end it. That is just a lie. God can provide comfort and hope in any circumstances. That's what we see in Romans, in Romans chapter 5. We can rejoice in our sufferings. We can find comfort. We can find hope. We can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering is going to produce endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Because of who Christ is, because of his identity, because of who he is, we can find comfort and hope. Is that encouraging to you? Oh, it is so encouraging to me. It's so encouraging to me that no, no matter what's going on, I can find hope, peace, and comfort and rest. Praise God. So that's what Simeon was waiting for. And then we see Anna. Now, Anna was waiting for the same person. So she was waiting for 57 years for the same person, but she has a different perspective. In verse 38, it says that she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she's not waiting for comfort or hope. She is waiting for redemption. To redeem something is to, to buy something out. It's a, it's, to, uh, it's a term that's typically used with regard to purchasing a slave and then giving him or her freedom. And so if you redeem something, you buy them out and then you set them free. They have been redeemed. And so that's what redemption is. And if we're redeemed, if we're redeemed by who we are in Christ, then what that means is at one point we were in slavery. And so Jesus has redeemed us. He moves us from the position of being slaves to sin, and he gives us freedom in who we are in Christ and, and moves us into a new relationship with our Heavenly Father. When the Bible speaks of redemption, it refers to our being released from sin. And when Anna saw Jesus, she gave thanks for redemption. And not just reflective at the birth of Jesus, but also in conjunction with what was going to happen through his death on the cross. She fully understood who Jesus was. She knew that he was going to be, his body was going to be broken. He knew that, she knew that his hands was going to be uh, pierced. All the prophecy that came from Isaiah, she understood. And, and she looked down at baby Jesus, and she knew that redemption was now at hand. It's not something she's waiting for any longer. Through his birth, it is now fulfilled. It's a, in the past, it's a reality for us today. And this is what we find in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took on our sins and bore the weight of that himself so that we could be redeemed through that act. And so when we talk about accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and talking about knowing that he died on the cross for our sins. This is what we're talking about. I want to experience redemption. I was in sin. I now have a relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit is no longer 
external. I've asked him to come into my life. And now that same power that spoke creation into existence is available to me to overcome sin and temptation. I have been redeemed. Anybody that places their faith in Christ and is trusting in him for their salvation has been redeemed. Redemption is being freed from the curse of the law because Christ became a curse for us. That's what it said, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. It was one of the prophecies about Jesus. And that happened so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham that we might be called his children would come to the Gentiles. We've been adopted in. We've been grafted in. I'm no longer experiencing a relationship with God because I'm Jewish. Now I can have the fullness of that relationship with God because of who I am in Christ. So I have access to the same thing that those Jewish people, that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit as well. Christ came once and for all. And it's through our faith and our place in our faith in Him and trusting in Him that we become redeemed. And this is what Anna had been praying for. She had been praying for redemption. Jesus, through His death on the cross, would take that upon Himself. Our natural condition is characterized by guilt, and we are all in need of forgiveness. I can remember when I made a faith commitment, I was 33 years old. I thought going to church was a good thing. I thought being a good person was a good thing. I gave to people in need, you know. And uh, man, I tell you, when I read for the first time Cornelius is becoming a Christian after he understood this, you know, it changed my life. There's a difference between going to church, believing in Jesus. Satan believes in Jesus. Satan had a conversation with Jesus. It's not about believing in Jesus. It's about trusting him and placing your faith in him. When that happens, you become new. The Bible says that you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so when we place our faith in Christ, typically at Springbrook, we encourage people to, 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 to reflect on the fact that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Just for me, just to say I was a sinner was difficult. I mean, hey, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Hi, my name is Richard, and I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And when you get to that point, and you, and you accept Christ's death on the cross as an atonement, as a sacrifice for your sin, and you ask Him to come into your life, the Holy Spirit is no longer external. He comes in, and He takes up residence in your life, and you are changed. And so typically that's a prayerful moment. So we encourage people, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you've never made a faith commitment, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about being redeemed. It's about, look, don't trust in yourself trying to be a good person. Trust in who Jesus is. Believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that and ask him to come into your life and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indwelling the lives of a believer. And as believers, we have been redeemed and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that's what Anna had been praying for and waiting for. In Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not just me, not just you, everybody. Sin is a condition that we're born into because of Adam. Just as in Christ all are made alive because of Adam, we're all going to die. We all have sin. It's a condition. It's not just a behavior. All have sinned. All of us, every one of us, falls short of the glory of God. But we are justified by the grace as a gift. Jesus is a gift. And so when you look at that manger, that's a gift. We've been justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's what Anna had been waiting for. 
when Jesus came, he provided exactly what Simeon and Anna have been waiting for. And we need that today. God's comfort, God's redemption, his forgiveness are available to each one of us today. As we come to a conclusion of our unusual Christmas series, we've been looking at different aspects of the Christmas story. I just pray that you are encouraged today that as we move beyond Christmas, that this is something that you will continue to be able to reflect on. Christmas doesn't happen on the 25th. In fact, he was born sometime, we think, in March. It's not even the, it's not even the right day. <laughs> Pick a day. Every day you can celebrate who you are in Christ. As we finish this series, I want you to know something. Jesus provides you everything that you need. There's nothing missing, nothing missing in your life that Jesus cannot fulfill. And so this morning, maybe you can identify with Simeon. Maybe you're hurting, lonely, empty, afraid. Maybe you're feeling maxed out, burned out. (laughs) I don't know how you're feeling. Each of us needs comfort. We all need a fresh sense of God's presence in our life. And you can find that in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you identify more with Anna. Maybe you're plagued by guilt. Maybe you're trapped by you know, some memory, some pattern of behavior, lifestyle. You know, maybe you've never experienced the life-changing power that comes to you when you commit your life to Jesus Christ. If you have not experienced that, I just want to encourage you, you are missing out on comfort and redemption and all the benefits that we enjoy as Christ followers of Christmas. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it is simple as asking for it. And you can prayerfully ask for that in your, in your heart today. You know, we had Pastor Dan talked about our need for a relationship with Christ at Christmas Eve. And I know three people made faith commitments that night. You, you can do that today. You don't have to wait for the next Christmas Eve service. You don't have to wait for the next Christmas. You know, we encourage people routinely. In fact, this is why we exist, to help people understand how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to establish people in their faith. We want to build them up in their faith. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, it starts by simply saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm in need of forgiveness. I believe Jesus is God. They died on the cross of my sins. And as best as I know how, I need him to come into my life and to take control and be my Lord. Release me from slavery. Redeem me and make me yours. That's a prayer. And you can, you can just, reflecting back on that, you can pray that right now. I'll be available after the service today. If you want to pray, I love the opportunity to celebrate that with you. On the, uh, on the welcome slip that is attached, you know, Jessica mentioned that. Um, I encourage you, if you have questions about baptism or child dedication, to indicate your interest on that. There's also a place for you to indicate your interest in making a faith commitment. And so if you want to do that today, maybe you just kind of said, hey, what you just said, that makes sense. I want that. <laughs> then make today the day that you want that. And commit your life to Christ. I love the opportunity to follow up with you on that. Forgiveness is just a request away. On the front of your welcome slip, there's uh, some space to write prayer requests and I want you to take that out now with me for a moment. I want to ask you, uh, what are you praying for? Make that your prayer today. What are you praying for? Are you praying for comfort? Are you praying for hope? Are you praying for God to do a new work in your life? Do you need redemption? You know, what are you praying for? Just take a moment. You can write that down. Um, we're going to collect those in just a few moments. Maybe if uh, today you just want to make a faith commitment, you know, say, hey, I want, I want to make a faith commitment. I, I don't want to walk out. I want redemption. I want everything you talked about, man. Sign me up. I'd love to talk with you about what your faith commitment looks like. We have a baptism service coming up. We're going to celebrate 
uh, baptisms in the next couple weeks. And so uh, just take a moment and you can write out your prayer request. Um, now that Christmas is past, you know, what do we do now? You know, I want to invite you to do, uh, I want you to invite, invite you to do something with me. I want to invite you uh, with me to become a marveler. Become a marveler at Christmas. You know, when I was reading through this story, it says that Mary and Joseph, when they heard what was said about their son, they marveled. Do you marvel about who you are in Christ? It's, it's just a miracle. You know, the Bible says no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. Jesus is yours because the Father drew you into a relationship with himself. That's a miracle. You didn't choose it on your own. And if you're sitting there contemplating it today, you're, you're, you're fighting God's call on your life. We, we all need it, but whether or not you choose it or not, you're going to fight what God's will is for you? I mean, the Father draws us into a relationship with himself. That's just a miracle to me. I mean, we make a faith commitment. I can look back. If you had asked me 25 years, if I'd be standing here right now, I just, I'm amazed at what God did in my life. It's amazing. I marvel at what God has done in my life. Do you marvel about who you are in Christ? Do you marvel at the fact that you are a part of the visible, tangible reflection of the body of Christ? This is a miraculous event here. Coming to church in Springbrook, this is, this is great. I marvel when I come together and sing. And I mean, there are so many things to marvel about who we are in Christ. And so I want to invite you as we move through Christmas to continue to be a marveler. Or maybe uh, you can become a mover. You know, when I look down at uh, Simeon, you know, he was moved by the Spirit to go into the temple um, that day. Anna was moved to give thanks to God. You know, the Scripture is just filled with people that are, are movers. And you know what a mover is? It's somebody that's obedient. You know, so God might be prompting you to do something today. That's God's prompting. Be obedient. Be a mover. And so is God prompting you to make a faith commitment? I don't know. Maybe do it. God's prompting you to get baptized? Do it. God's prompting you to get involved in a small group? It's time to do it. You know, the body of Christ is made stronger as we serve together. If you've been looking for a place to serve, hey, this is the year. Don't call it a, don't call it a New Year's resolution, though. Call it, I want to be a mover because of who I am in Christ. I want to encourage you to be obedient to what God has called you to. Christmas is great, but we want to be marvelers and we want to be movers. And you know what else happens? If you are a marveler and you are a mover, you can't help but be a messenger. You know, we talk about, you know, it's, it's easy to invite somebody to church when you're excited about what God's doing in your life, isn't it? It really is. It's easy to talk to somebody about a relationship with Christ when your life has been changed by a relationship with Christ. How could you not want to exude and share that with other people? We, we, have, we have the Holy Spirit in us, Acts 1.8 says, to become witnesses. It's about telling other people about Jesus. It's as simple as inviting somebody to church. It's as simple as inviting somebody to your small group. It's as simple as maybe making room for somebody in your small group if your group's full. You know, we want to be messengers. We're excited about what Christ has done in our life. We're movers. We're obedient. And we want others to experience the comfort and the hope and the redemption that we've experienced. Would you make that your prayer with me today? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you. Uh, for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you for Christmas. What a great holiday. And uh, I thank you that, um, that we have uh, a solid foundation in our relationship with you because of who Jesus is. He's not just a baby in a manger. Man, that is the Christ. And the fact that we can have a personal relationship with you through him, man, that is just, that's the ultimate gift. And so I just pray that you would continue to encourage each of us. I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself. 
May we have an ever-increasing sense of your peace, your comfort, your rest in our lives. God, I just thank you for the gift of redemption and for those that are still questioning where they are, if they have a relationship with Christ, what does that look like? I pray that you would redeem them, that they can understand the security that is ours, knowing that, like Simeon, we're ready to stand before you on your throne. God, thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you for the work that you're doing. We look forward to all that you're going to do in and through us as we move to the end of this year into 2019. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.